Go for the pulse and the pools. Go for the ooze and the oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another Philly Sports Power Hour with your man, Bill Calarulo. Game three tonight down at Citizens Bank Park. It's a big one for the Fightins today. It is the big one for the Fightins today, representing the Phillies for sure. Gotta win tonight. Gotta win tonight. So we're going to be joined by our Phillies postgame host, Mark Farzetta. He'll be joining us around 10.20 today to talk a little bit of Philadelphia Phillies. But as always, guys, I appreciate you all in the chat. I see BSing sports. What's going on, my man? Love that you're here every single day. Make sure you guys are hitting that like button, hitting that subscribe button, sharing. Let's get all as many Philadelphia sports fans as possible watching this hour every single day, Monday through Friday. And as some of you guys may know, I also host the Legal Hands to the Face Philadelphia Eagles talk show. We had an episode last night, great guest. We had Todd Harriman's on, 10-year Philadelphia Eagles veteran, 11-year NFL veteran. So we talked to him about the tush push, this Eagles team. He told us some stories about his 10-year career with the Philadelphia Eagles. Interestingly, his rookie season was the year that there was all that drama with T.O. So we talk about that a little bit, too, which was was pretty cool. So check it out right here on the Jacob Sports Network. We usually air Legal Hands to the Face every Monday night. We did it Tuesday because of the Phillies this week. But make sure you're following along there. And you could follow me at Legal Hands to the Face on Instagram, posting daily Eagles content. And follow me on Twitter at Bill Calarulo. But guys, before we get into our Phillies talk, and we're going to spend the majority of the show in the second segment, on the Philadelphia Phillies, especially with my man Farzi making his first Philly Sports Power Hour appearance. But before we do, I want to talk about our Philadelphia Eagles, our 5-0 and Philadelphia Eagles. And news came out yesterday that the Philadelphia Eagles opened up the 21-day practice window on linebacker N'Kobe Dean. So N'Kobe Dean is now eligible to return this week, if the Eagles choose to activate him for that game. And what I want to talk about is, what would you guys do? And if you're in the chat, I want to hear from you. What would you guys do with N'Kobe Dean when he is healthy and ready to play? Because it could be this weekend that N'Kobe Dean is healthy and ready to play. And I'm going to tell you what I would do. He's not getting back in that lineup right now. I'm not putting the Kobe Dean back on defense right now with how well Nicholas Morrow and Zach Cunningham have played, especially last week in the second half of that Los Angeles Rams game. But I want to hear from you guys in the chat. Would you give Nicholas Morrow back his job? 
and I see BSing sports, I'm waiting until we see a hiccup out of Morrow or Cam. Brian Lippincott, I would not play him on that crappy, crappy turf at MetLife. Lippincott, I got to tell you, that's a great point right there. Didn't even think about that. You got N'Kobe Dean coming back from that foot injury. Do you want him playing on that turf at MetLife? Really good point, Brian. But I think if he does come back, you're probably going to see him at least play special teams. And I see JM, I'd rather him get his feet wet against the Jets' offense than in Miami. Another good point. We know how good that Miami greatest show on surf is what I see people calling it, the greatest show on surf against that Eagles defense. Niners all damn night sucking Pekka's. <laughs> I like that name. Yeah, what would I do to Dean? Better question is, what wouldn't I do to Dean? And Chill Smith, got to keep Morrow and Cunningham in there. Ease Nakobe in the rotation, but you got to go with the hot hand. Morrow and Cunningham have been great. Joey, start Morrow and Cunningham. So it seems like all you guys are agreeing with me. You don't give this job back to Nakobe Dean. Not with how well Nicholas Morrow has played over the last couple of weeks. And pro football focus, they do their grades, and we've talked about it. I'm a fan of pro football focus. I think they do a really nice job. And they have Nicholas Morrow right now as the number fifth highest graded linebacker in the entire NFL. Number five in the entire NFL. You can't take this guy out. You cannot take Nicholas Morrow out of this lineup. And I love the culture that Nick Sirianni has built. And what does he preach more than anything is competition. Everybody is competing every single day. Well, what kind of signal does that give to your team if you just give N'Kobe Dean his job back with how well Nicholas Morrow has played? Nicholas Morrow has earned the right to continue to play until we see a hiccup. And I got, let's shoot the S-H-I-T. I think I could curse on here, though. I don't think there's a problem with cursing on YouTube, but I'm both a Birds and a Georgia fan, and I don't put Dean back out there. I don't see how you do. I don't see how you do. And the Eagles, all offseason, I was not happy with the linebacker situation. I did not think we should have gone into this season putting it all on the Kobe Dean shoulders when he had only played 34 snaps in the NFL. But Morrow's turned out to be a blessing. Zach Cunningham, late additions, turned out to be a blessing. And I see JM there saying Cunningham has sucked in coverage and keeps racking up penalties. Well, let's take a look. I want to focus on this pro football focus grades for a second. And they have Nicholas Morrow as the number five overall linebacker at an 84.1. In run defense, they have him at an 80.4. But most impressively, pass rush, 88.7. That's where Nicholas Morrow has impressed me. I did not expect him to be able to blitz the quarterback as well as he's done in the last couple of weeks. We saw what he did against the Washington Commanders but an 88.7 rating, and he's a 72.9 in coverage. Not bad. Not bad. And then you look at Zach Cunningham. Zach Cunningham right now is the 47th-ranked linebacker at a 64.2, so a big drop-off 
from Nicholas Morrow. A 62 in run defense, a 54 in pass rush. And I see JM talking about how he sucked in coverage, but pro football focus doesn't have him graded that bad when it comes to pass coverage. They have him at a 67.2. Not horrible. Now, we got a small sample size out of N'Kobe Dean. He only played 49 snaps before getting hurt. But you look at N'Kobe Dean, you know what he was in pass coverage? A 43.9 grade. Limited reps. Limited reps. That's a small sample size, but that's where he really struggled. And then Christian Ellis, a 37.8 in pass coverage, where he really struggled. So you look at the two linebackers that are currently on the field and Nicholas Morrow and Zach Cunningham, and comparing that to the small sample size of N'Kobe Dean and Christian Ellis, these guys are playing drastically better in a lot of aspects on that defense, including pass coverage. And I see JM making an excuse for N'Kobe Dean. He was going against the New England tight ends. Rams didn't have a bad tight end either. Rams did not have a bad tight end. But maybe not as good as Mike Gazicki and Hunter Henry. But Dean's going to have to sit. And I see MC weighing in. Dean's just going to have to sit. Nick said he would ride the hot hand, so leave well enough alone. And I agree. And I think you keep a short leash. I love the culture of competition. Morrow struggles or... Cunningham struggles, work Dean in there. Dean's definitely going to contribute on special teams. We know that. He'll hopefully have to contribute on special teams. But I am not giving N'Kobe Dean his job back until Morrow proves or falls a little bit down because he's been playing so damn good. So damn good. But then let's also talk about on the other side of the ball, on offense. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Because a guy they did give their job back right after he came back from injury was Quez Watkins. And we talked about it yesterday, and I voiced my frustration because I thought Alameda Zacchaeus played very well when Quez was sitting on the sidelines with that hamstring injury. And we talked about it in the chat, and you guys talked about it. He stretches the field. It's his speed. Nick Sirianni, during his press conference, said the same thing. It's about Quez Watkins' speed, and he opens things up for other people. I'm sick of hearing it. I'm sick of hearing it because when he gets his opportunities, he doesn't deliver. And you saw what he did on third and short on the wide receiver screen that was blocked up. So I'm sick of hearing that he's stretching the field because you know what? I went back and looked at Quez Watkins' 40-yard dash time and compared it to Alameda Zacchaeus. And Quez is fast. No doubt about it, he is fast. He ran a 40 in 4-3-5. Lightning fast. But Alameda Zacchaeus, he ran the 40 in 4-4. It's not like you're talking about a drastic drop-off. I get it. That tenth of a second can be big in the NFL. But when you're talking about a tenth of a second, I am willing to let that go. I am willing to sacrifice the tenth of a second in the 40-yard dash for a wide receiver like Alameda Zacchaeus who has delivered when given opportunities. How many times are we going to give Quez Watkins opportunities and he doesn't take advantage of it? We saw what he did last season, 
and you've seen what he's done so far this season. Wide receiver four, I'm okay with Quez Watkins as your wide receiver four. He's got speed. He's got some talent. But Alama DeZacchaeus has earned the right to be in that wide receiver three spot. Three games, or excuse me, through five games, Alama DeZacchaeus, three catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown. What's Quez doing? Look up those stats now. What's Quez doing? If you guys are in the chat, what's Quez? I guarantee you it's nowhere near what Alamba DeZacchaeus has done. Quez Watkins so far this year, four catches, 21 yards. Come on, man. Alamba DeZacchaeus is averaging 23 yards a catch. Quez Watkins, 5.3 yards a catch. I'm sick of hearing about speed. If the speed really mattered, you wouldn't see 5.3 yards a catch. And I know, JM, before you even say it, are going to say, oh, those numbers are skewed because of wide receiver screens. If he's really blowing the top off of a defense, you're going to see that average up a lot higher than what it is and a lot higher than what it was last year. Alama DeZacchaeus has earned the right to be on that field. And I see MC, that block he ran down there and threw for AJ won me over. Most wide receivers just watch the big screen. And you're talking about Alama Day. That won me over too. Team player hustling down the field to block for AJ Brown. That was a huge play. NJ Fishing Maniac. Remember, one of those catches lost a yard. Yeah. And that catch that lost a yard, NJ Fishing Maniac, should have been at least a three or four yard gain, if not more on a third and one with good blocking. And there's Brian Lippincott saying the same thing. Perfect blocking by the two stars. Absolutely. It wasn't a bad play call. Now, I'm usually not a fan of the wide receiver screen because I don't think the Eagles run it very well. But that one was the right call. It was there. It was open. And interestingly, I had Todd Herriman's former Philadelphia Eagle offensive lineman on my other show last night, Legal Hands to the Face, and I asked him, Why can't this Eagles offense run the screen better? They have such an athletic offensive line with Maialata and Dickerson and Kelsey and Cam Juergens, Opeta, who's playing well, and Lane Johnson. Why can't they run the screen as good as we used to see the Philadelphia Eagles run the screen under Andy Reid when Harriman's was on this team? And Harriman's had an interesting take, and if you guys can, go check out the Legal Hands to the Face show, it's on YouTube from last night. And he said he's done a lot of thinking about why this Philadelphia Eagles offense isn't able to run the wide receiver screen or the delayed running back screen as well as they used to. And it was an interesting take. He said, when you run a screen in the NFL or in any level, the offensive linemen get beat. They let the defensive line beat them. And the defensive lineman thinks they're about to get a sack. Quarterback dishes the ball off to the running back, tight end receiver on that slow developing screen. And now all the D lines on the other side of it. And what he said is that this offensive line, especially Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey, are so good that they rarely get beat with the pass rush that when they go to run a screen, Defensive linemen instantly know, no way I beat him that easily. So it was an interesting take that these defensive linemen, because they win so little 
against our offensive line that when they do win, goes off in their head, this may be a screen. So interesting take because I keep questioning with how, how athletic our offensive line is, why they can't run a better screen. And then I see JM. He's redundant at number three. He's Zach Pascal with less blocking ability. Now, JM, I've been disagreeing with you a lot today, but I'm going to give you a little bit of credit here because we were talking about pro football focus grades for the linebacker position. And if you look at the pro football focus grades at the wide receiver position, A.J. Brown, number three in the NFL, just playing unbelievable lights out. But you look at Quez Watkins and you compare him to Alameda De Zacchaeus. Now, let me go on record before we talk about these pro football focus grades. I'm talking about the eye test for me, and I can see that Alameda De Zacchaeus has given you more than Quez Watkins. But to be fair, if we're going to use the pro football focus grades and what JM is talking about in the chat, Quez Watkins is ranked or graded at a 51.9, and Alameda De Zacchaeus is graded at a 51, almost identical. Almost identical in the receiving grades. But where Quez Watkins is actually ranked significantly higher than Alama De Zacchaeus, which I found surprising, is in run blocking. They have Quez Watkins graded at a 51.5 in run blocking, and Alama De Zacchaeus only down at a 34.6. Now that's interesting. That's interesting to me. Because if Quez Watkins is, in fact, a better run blocker on the outside, maybe that's the argument. But that isn't what Nick Sirianni has said. That's not what we hear. Oh, he's a better run blocker. It's all about his speed. Well, I'm overhearing about his speed. Over it. And I see the real zeal. The lack of a screen game is frustrating, not only with the Eagles, but also at Penn State. Their O-line has been disappointing in the Franklin era. I digress. Yeah, you do digress, man, getting into the Penn State screen game. But, yeah, it was an interesting take about the screen game with Todd Harriman. So check it out on Legal Hands to the Face. But, guys, we are going to talk maybe a little bit more Eagles at the end of the show. But I want to transition because we have a huge game three tonight. So when we come back after the break, we're going to be joined by the Jacob Sports Philadelphia Phillies postgame show host, my man, Mark Farzetta. So stay tuned. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Staffing is not easy, but that's what we do every day, all day. The key to our success is storytelling, asking the right questions to find the right people. Hi, I'm Gary Kane, president of Kane Partners. We want to be your staffing partner. Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. So Good Now helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you at Rafferty Subaru. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles Welcome back to the Philly Sports Power Hour and let's welcome for the first time on the Power Hour show, my man, Mark Farzetta. What's up, Farzy? Uh, all right. I would never do this, but it's just too good of an opportunity. My wife is in Aruba and she is just FaceTiming right now. Should I answer it? I think you should. I think ah, oh wait, no, she's she's a woman of. Uh, hold on, this is gonna be shocking to her. Oh hey babe, smile. You're on. Uh, you're on the power hour. I'll call you back. <laughs> Love you, bye. That's how we talk to one another. Yeah. Anyway, so the Phillies right. never do that to me again. <laughs> she um she fights it, but she she's a she's a showman. She's a showman. She enjoys the uh, the limelight, the microphone, all that jazz, man. Yeah, she she's she's bashful. She tries to play bashful, but she's not. I love it. Well, to be to be married to the famous, not infamous, famous Mark Farzetta. <laughs> oh yeah, that's very intimidating. Let me tell you, brother. Yeah. Absolutely, I'm sure. Uh, how's it going, bro? Congrats on the show. This is a great setup for you. This is a great thing. Uh, I know people in the chat, people in the audience, obviously, right now. Bill Calarulo knows his stuff. You don't need me to tell you that, but I just want to endorse it. Congratulations on the power. Do we get to drink? Are we drinking? Do we literally drink every minute? Because I'll do it. Yeah, it's funny. Some of my uh, old college football buddies said power hour. We always <laughs> loved a good power hour. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I got to be careful with those because I, I I really don't drink beer. I, I drink a lot of whiskey. A power hour in that regard could be fatal, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make an adjustment for you. Well, things are a little different now, man. We've, we've elevated our game. No more Natty Light or... Uh, <laughs> Whatever the hell yeah, the sure. cheapest beer was in college. Keystone Light. My buddy to this day, yeah. Mike Lanza, I still call Stones because all he would drink is Keystone Lights. That was his beer of choice. Keystone Lights all the time. To this day, still Stones all the time. Yeah, a little bit different now. And I see the guys in the chat, JM, the man, the myth, the legend, Farzy, <laughs> and let's shoot the shit saying, Nick Sirianni shaved his head? <laughs> <laughs> it is. I uh, One of my proudest moments in life. Was uh, the great Joe Krause, who is the executive producer of uh, Jacob Sports, had booked me to host the 
Maxwell Awards this past year, and Nick Sirianni was the Maxwell Coach of the Year in the NFL. So I I wasn't going to talk about how I always get, hey, did anyone ever tell you look at Nick Sirianni? But literally, I checked into the hotel, was on my way to the event, and a woman stopped me. And I had a hat on, and this woman stops me, and she goes, oh, my God, Coach Sirianni, I love you. This woman had to be in her 60s. She said, Coach Sirianni, I love you. You're amazing. The Super Bowl was great. And unfortunately, I was crying when you were crying, and you made me cry. I swear this all this happened. And I go, uh, I go, I, I, like, she was pouring her heart out to me. And I just go, I go, miss, I am so sorry. I, uh, and she cuts me off, and she goes, can I take a picture with you? And I go, miss, I am so sorry. And then she got mad like Nick Sirianni was shooting her down to take a, a selfie. And I was like, hold on, just give me give me like five seconds. I'm not Nick Sirianni. I, I, get, I get it a lot that I look like him. I took off my hat. And then she looked at me and she just went, eh. and then she walked away. And that was that. Yeah. And I was like, Does she, I want to make sure that it never – I, I can't confirm whether or not she registered that I'm not Nick Sirianni. And I just hope that she doesn't think Nick Sirianni is – like some dick now <laughs> like yeah. for, who turned her down for a picture. But um, anyway, to that lady for watching now. Well, let, uh, me get, uh, let me get Bizarro Nick Sirianni's opinion on something about the Eagles first <laughs> yeah, before, sure. we, before we get into the Phillies because we were debating this in the chat in the first segment. Two questions about players on both sides of the ball who are coming back from injuries and should they get their job back. First one was – we saw Quez Watkins get his job back after coming back from that hamstring injury, which I wasn't happy about. I thought Alama Dezaki has earned it. In the green room when we were watching the game down at the Ocean Casino with Seth Joyner, Seth Joyner wasn't happy that Alama Dezaki wasn't in there. What, yeah. What's Mark Farzetta's take on whether Quez Watkins should be your wide receiver three? All right. Um, is Quez Watkins some kind of like surefire Hall of Famer that I've missed out on? Has he been like a locked-in guy and a go-to guy even and – a multi-pro bowler even as a wide receiver here? I think the answer to that is no. So in that case, he doesn't just automatically get his job back when he's healthy. If somebody else steps up and rises to the occasion, like a guy like Alameda Zacchaeus, who came out, kept himself healthy, threw himself into the fold here in, uh, in, in training camp, in preseason and all that, and has responded by looking like he's on the same page as his quarterback as Jalen Hurts, well then guess what? Um, I'm not going to be using Quez Watkins. Now, if you want to argue the other side of it, like the snap count, what was it, like 41% with uh, – with, or 77 – I forget what it was. There's only 11% for Alameda Zacchaeus and whatever it was for, uh, for uh, uh, Quez was off the charts. But for me, that's fine. I have a bigger problem with targets. I don't want to look the way of Quez Watkins three times in that game and only look the way of Alameda Zacchaeus – zero times in that game yeah. because Quez Watkins has shown me that he doesn't want to make the big play. If he wanted to make the big play, he'd make the big play. I'm sure his, his heart is in the right place, but mentally the man's not focused. We saw the fumble last year against the commanders. We saw in this game here against the Rams, when you're trying to make this comeback and try to solidify your offense and get some momentum going, you have two blockers that are isolating their guys. You, all you gotta do is run between them. He tries to go around, ends up taking a loss on it. I don't know who it was that tweeted it out, but they put out the picture, the freeze frame. And I don't like generally going with freeze frames, but in this case, it's a good example. How do you lose a yard on that play when both your receivers are doing their job and Quez Watkins is the guy that blows it? And I loved Nick Sirianni's reaction to that because this shows two things. Uh, and overall, this game against the Rams, I thought it was a wonderful display of coaching with Nick Sirianni uh, and with Sean Desai. But Nick Sirianni, if you remember in OTAs, 
And coaches don't do this usually. Nick Sirianni certainly doesn't do this, but he did it in this case. Anybody jump out to you, coach, uh, after OTAs? Oh, yeah. All right, you know, I'll give you a guy. I know one guy. Yeah, absolutely. Quez Watkins. And then, man, he just went on and lavished praise on Quez Watkins. Man, just love it on Quez Watkins. And he, he showed the kid glove coaching and, like, support of a player. And then, uh, then when that player failed – after investing in him again, you saw Nick Sirianni start to chew him out because the former that was that was that was uh, Nick Sirianni, the former wide receivers coach, chewing out uh, Watkins. It wasn't the head coach chewing out Watkins when you had as good a blocks as you had from your receivers, and then you just had one receiver completely blow it. Two guys were doing their job to roll out a red carpet for you to get some flowers, for you to get some praise, and you blew it. So I am absolutely on the side of if you want to stretch the field with Watkins, by all means, go for it. But I don't want to see him get the targets over Alameda Zacchaeus because I think Alameda Zacchaeus will make a play for you. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more, Farzi. And and the snaps were 52 snaps for Quez, nine snaps for Alameda. So big difference oh. there, at least on, on the snap count. <laughs> now, what's, the, talk- what's the percentage? Well, I'm sorry, what's the percentage? Do you have it right there, too? 66% to 11%. Yeah, okay, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and you talk about Nick Sirianni as a former wide receiver coach. He's also a former wide receiver, was a pretty good player at Division Three powerhouse, yeah. Mount Union. <laughs> so, you know, Division Three schools have a special place in my heart because I played Division Three football because I wasn't tall enough to play D1. But <laughs> another player from a D3 school is somebody else I want to talk about, and that is Nicholas Morrow, another D3 player who's been playing really well on this Eagles team. And now we have Nicobe Dean opening up the 21-day practice window for Nicobe Dean. Do you take Morrow off the field and give Dean his job back, or has Morrow earned that starting position? Uh, see, this is a little bit of a different case, uh, obviously, being that he was the guy that was supposed to get that. I I don't mess with success. I I gradually work in. You got tw- you don't have to make him active for this game. You have 21 days to make him active, so you got some time here. Uh, I don't think it's anything the Eagles are going to rush into. Morrow had an amazing game where he put himself in great position to make plays, obviously against the commanders with the three sacks, but he's also been very aggressive at the line of scrimmage. He's been able to get into the backfield, not just uh, rushing from the edge, but in terms of getting between your defensive tackles and getting in the backfield that way. And I love how Sean Desai has used him in that regard. I think that still this offense is going to be based, or excuse me, this defense is going to be based on speed. And they're not going to be sending a hell of a lot of blitzes compared to other teams, but it's certainly going to be more of an uptick than Jonathan Gannon. And I think N'Kobe Dean fits that bill a lot better than Nicholas Morrow. Nicholas Morrow has been playing well. I still think N'Kobe Dean can play better than what we have seen from Nicholas Morrow. I think the coaches are going to make it a, a gradual thing. I would be surprised if Morrow keeps it at this level, if Zach Cunningham keeps it at this level. And I think it's just going to be a matter of time before you do start to see regular reps with N'Kobe Dean. And that's because I believe overall he's a better linebacker if he is given that right opportunity and enough uh, ground in front of him to take the ball and run with it. Interesting point with Dean definitely having a higher ceiling most likely than what Morrow has. But I like that. And I want to give a quick thank you to Chuck Hutton in the chat saying this is great. Bill and Farzi, both dudes are passionate, articulate, and insightful in discussing Philly sports. Longtime subscriber to Jacob and really enjoying this program. Chuck, we appreciate you. Guys, I appreciate all of you in the chat. That is good stuff. And there it is on the screen. But let's switch gears now because as knowledgeable as Farzi is about the Philadelphia Eagles, I think it's a close, maybe even a tie here. (laughs) on 
how knowledgeable you are about the Philadelphia Phillies. Because <laughs> you love your fightings. I know that. I know I, that. I'm, I'm a sucker for baseball. It's well known. Yes, I'm a sucker for baseball. Yeah. And you do the Jacob Sports post game show every night after the Phillies games. Man. Now, I was on here earlier in the week talking about that game two disappointment. I heard you on your show this morning saying people are talking about how momentum has shifted. What are your thoughts about Game 3 tonight at Citizens Bank Park, Series Tied 1-1? Well, I think that momentum for the most part is dumb. But if you're the Atlanta Braves and you think you've gained any ounce of momentum, let's let's see what, you, what you're feeling when you run out onto that field at Citizens Bank Park tonight and you hear 45,000 strong raining either booze down upon you or they are screaming and yelling for their Phillies on the field as well. And Orlando Arcia, dude, um, that's not exactly what you want to do is poke the bear. You don't want to tug on Superman's cape, and I believe that's what he did with Bryce Harper. You want to laugh at a two-time MVP? You want to laugh at a guy who helped knock you out of the playoffs last year after you guys had another incredible regular season? I don't think that's a great idea. So as far as momentum goes, I think that comes to a screeching halt because nobody holds momentum like a Philadelphia fan base. And that's what I think is going to take place tonight. Um, as far as game two goes overall, if you do believe in momentum, another thing to believe that it stopped is that the Phillies made five awful, maybe even six awful mistakes in that game. And I know everyone is concentrating on Bryce Harper and the base running blunder he had. And depending, and depending on who you are, you're like, that's a base running blunder, but that's Bryce. And that whole thing. I don't care about who does it. It was a base running mistake. It's not a top three reason as to why they lost the game, but it was a mistake. Both these things are true. That was a mistake, and the Phillies didn't lose the game because of it. I don't think you're going to have any weaknesses from Aaron Nola tonight. He has shown that he has hit his stride in his last two starts in the regular season against the Braves. He just spanked them. He put them over his knee. 12 innings, two runs, a, a ton of strikeouts. In his last start against them on, on September 20th, it was one of his best starts of the season. He goes six scoreless against them in that start, and it was one of the three starts that he's had over his last three here where he's gone at least six innings, allowing no more than two earned runs. So he has found that groove again. And let's also talk about this as far as tonight goes. Aaron Nola is continuing not just to pitch for the Phillies to advance. Aaron Nola is continuing to pitch in a fashion that will wipe away the 2023 regular season. We've seen guys like Kurt Schilling have these seasons before where they struggled in the regular season and all of a sudden they turn it on in the postseason. Nola isn't just pitching to show that he can help this team win. He is pitching to cash in. So if you want to talk about motivation, all right, the obvious motivation is you win. You go up 2-1, then you're one win away from advancing to the NLCS where it looks like they're going to face the Arizona Diamondbacks, which for me is a pathway back to the World Series. But the other side of it is Aaron Nolan knows that if he continues a solid postseason performance, if he continues not just a solid three starts to end the regular season, a solid start in the postseason and continues to roll that, he knows that's going to be a big fat check with a lot of years on it as well when the post when the uh, actual offseason starts up. So there's a lot of motivation here just for your starting pitcher alone. You take your two-time MVP, you have people laughing in his face, and also the fact that you have – 45,000 people down there that are going to be all but willing a victory to happen for the Phillies. So I'm feeling great. And the energy, by the way, Nick Cassiano summing it up, talking about how, you know, we respond every time we get a punch, we get punched in the face. That's the only energy I care about going into tonight, man. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Cassianos has been a great quote throughout <laughs> his two years here, hasn't he? Uh, he is. I don't hit. I don't, uh, I, what does he say? I don't No, It wasn't, I don't read books. 
He goes, I hit I baseballs. Hit, I hit baseballs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, oh, great. <laughs> but, I, uh, Scooby-Doo, all that stuff. I, I, everyone needs a little Nick Castellanos today. Everyone. Yeah. So when you go to the office or whatever, unbutton a button, you know, let them fly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, you know, just go out there and have a little Nick Castellanos attitude in you. And at the beginning of your, of what you were saying there, you talked about Arcia waking a sleeping giant in Bryce Harper. And, and for those here watching in the chat, if you didn't see what Farzee's talking about, Braves infielder Orlando Arcia mocked Bryce Harper after the game per Jake Mintz of Fox Sports saying, first of all, he cackled emphatically. That's a great word, cackled. Oh, doesn't get used and, enough. And then said, ha-ha, attaboy Harper. And that's being reported. And you know that's bulletin board material for this Philadelphia Phillies team. So, yeah, be careful. Bryce Harper has shown he shows up in the big moment time after time, and you don't want to get under his skin. So I like that they're going to do that. I like that they're going to do that. And you mentioned Aaron Nola. Look, he's getting his payday regardless of what happens in this game, but you are absolutely right. His payday gets probably a lot bigger if he shuts down another playoff opponent like he did in that wild card, especially a lineup like this Atlanta Braves team. Yeah, you're, you're talking about five, ten million more a year. If he dominates in the postseason, oh, 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 man, that's going to be a nice chunk of change for Aaron Nola if he helps his team not just get to the World Series, but obviously win the World Series as well. And, and again, you just throw out. And you had this thought with Trey Turner during the season. You've had this thought. Uh, you had the thought last year with Nick Castellanos. You can have this thought now with Aaron Nola. All right, fine. Struggle in the regular season. Like Nick Castellanos, and what, you only have 13 home runs, 16 home runs last year. And then you come into this year and you're, you're wiped wipe the slate clean. But if he has a good postseason, it's awesome. Same thing with Aaron Nola. He has a good regular – up and down regular season, more down than up. He goes into the postseason and he dominates. It's like all is forgiven. We thought the same thing up until August with Trey Turner. All right, I understand he can struggle. I understand he is not having a good year. He certainly doesn't look like he is worth $300 million. He gets to the postseason and turns it on. All is forgiven. Same type of approach right now with Aaron Nola, except he's got that uh, contract dangling at the end of the line there. Yeah, and, and I'm feeling pretty confident tonight. I, I'm feeling confident. I think Aaron Nola is going to pitch well. You know that crowd's going to be loud. I think the key, though, Farzi, is you said momentum isn't really that important necessarily, but I think if the Philadelphia Phillies can come out to an early lead, it takes away any momentum that they had for the Braves coming over from game two. You just don't want to see the Braves get to Nola early. But, look, here's a good stat that my cousin sent me this morning. He said, hey, make sure you talk about this on your show. <laughs> when a division series with the current 2-2-1 format has been tied after two games, the club heading homes for game three and four have won the series 67% of the time, and that includes the National League Division Series last year for the Phillies at Citizens Bank Park. And the Phillies have a 24-11 and postseason record at the bank, which is a 686 win percentage, which is the best in the playoffs for any team with a minimum of 20 home games. So thank you, Frank Gallo, for giving us that stat. And that's why I'm confident. You know that place is going to be rocking tonight. But I got to ask you, Farzee, your opinion on what's being reported as the first pitch tonight. No disrespect to Raul Abanez and PA Governor Shapiro, but really – that, that's who you're going with a must-win game three at the bank in the playoffs? <laughs> um, yeah, odd. I, I, I No disrespect, as you said, all jazz, but how many people said no? <laughs> how many people? <laughs> was Chase Utley still in London town? Where the hell was Jimmy Rollins not able to come back? What's going on here? 
I yes, it doesn't exactly move the needle. Um, uh, politicians ever and, and like or not like politicians, I don't feel like it's ever appropriate to really have them. The only time I would say is is two thousand one, and for obvious reasons, I think America needed to see something like that. But uh, with Bush throwing out the first pitch in the in the World Series, there that was incredible. But um, for me, I don't like politicians getting involved in throwing first pitches. It just makes people think about things that they're trying to escape from while they're at the game. Um, but to me, and Raul Labanez, he got here and the Phillies lost. I mean, I love the guy, but yeah, didn't really. It was on the downslope of that 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 run. The better thing tonight, by far, is Jim Tomey's daughter singing "God Bless America." Oh, I didn't hear that. That's going to be awesome. That is, I I I can't wait. I can't wait. I think that's going to be a beautiful thing. And and Jim Tomey was one of the first people, and you were, you and I are on the same age. Well, he's one of the first people that I, I remember looking back on and being like, oh, wow, they people want to play here? Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow, they signed that contract to come here to Philadelphia? Oh, my God. And Jim Tomey, in signing that deal and coming here to Philly, look, he got paid. All right? So that's not – I'm not Disney color glassing this too much. But – it was like a, a warm embrace. And then I remember his family, young family, as he was coming along here in Philly. And now to see his daughter be, go, be, go out there and sing God Bless America, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing, and I'm sure she'll nail it. Yeah, love Tommy with the high stirrups, man. That would, that would Oh, be yeah. If I was a professional baseball player, I'm going high socks. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to wear strups up, man. Strups yeah. up. And I think another guy who wore high socks is being reported as the game four first pitch, which again, no disrespect, but is Joe Blanton. And I, I just don't who you're right. Who is saying no <laughs> to the Phillies that you're bringing Raul Abanez and then Joe Blanton? I, I, I'll take Joe B. I'll take Joey B. Love Joe B. Love Joe B. But for the first pitch, I, I, let me tell you, he's going to sip a little wine. He's going to tell you the notes because you know that he's a sommelier. Do you know that? Do you know I did that? I know that. He owns a, good, a vineyard. That's a good word by you, too, right there. The sommelier. Yeah. So, anyway, he's, uh, he's, he's in the, the wine business and all that. And he really loves the wine. And I would like to see him go out there uh, with his World Series ring because, you know, he did win here and just dominate. And then maybe for old time's sake, he steps in the batter's box and hit one out. How about that? How about yeah. that? I love it. No, I always big fan of Joe Blanton. Great acquisition there for the 08 Phillies, who did not have a lot of good pitching. They had Cole Hamels obviously turn it on. They had decent pitching, and then Joe B helped really solidify that rotation. So I, I don't mind that at all. I do want him to go out there with a nice – what, 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 what do they do there? They're the California. What's a good California? The Pinot Noirs? Is that a big thing in California? All of them are pretty big, but uh, ooh, I'm getting notes of plum. You know what I mean? Uh, and then he just throws a strike. I'll take that any day of the week. Yeah, you would hope he's going to throw a strike. But <laughs> So we talked a little bit about Aaron Nola starting pitching for the Phillies tonight and having a big game. Who do you think the Braves, I don't think it's being reported yet, who are they going to roll out as their starter tonight? So the couple of early indications. Uh, early things. So Elder could be one of them right now with the Braves. They still haven't made it officially official just yet, but Elder could be getting a start. If he does get the start, I – now I would love to see him get the start, but because I would love it, it makes me think the Braves won't do it. It's, it's Snicker won't do it, but he got shelled. The last time he faced the Phillies, which was also on that September 20th game that I talked about with Aaron Nola. He was on the losing end of that start. Um, and yeah, he just got blistered in that game. So I'd love to see that happen. They could go with a bullpen game. It, either, no matter how they go, if it's not a bullpen game, it's going to be a lot of inexperience, especially I think the other guy that could go get this start with that. He's got two last names. I'm, it's escaping me right now. Um, but he could go out there and he only has about, I think, 23 innings under his belt as a starting pitcher. 
So it's a lot of inexperience that the Braves are throwing against the Phillies. If I'm a sticker, I'm going with the bullpen game just because I can adjust the matchups accordingly. And I already know that uh, one guy that has gone out there to face the Phillies fairly recently has gotten bombarded by them in that recent start. So I think they're going to go with the bullpen game today. And then looking a little ahead to tomorrow night's game, who's who's the Phillies starter tomorrow night, you think? I think they're going to go back to Suarez. Uh, I I was arguing for Christopher Sanchez because every single game that he starts, you're in. So And he's a lefty, so it would change things up as well as uh, Ranger Suarez would. So for me, I think it's going to be Suarez. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if it's another very similar situation that you had in game one where it was the quick hook. And then maybe Sanchez comes in and gets you a couple of innings in that regard to give your bullpen even more of rest. But I think you're going to go back to Suarez for game four. And we didn't get a chance to talk, and I don't want to harp too much on game two because we're past it. But I don't like to question Topper. In Topper, we trust. <laughs> I questioned him in, in the game one. and Yeah, and every, rightfully so. Every button, he, every button he pushed was right. Yeah. But what, what did you think about some of the pitching decisions towards the end of that game? Bringing Wheeler back out. I was okay with Wheeler coming back out, but then once he gave up that hard single, single I'm thinking – Get him out. He keeps him in for another batter, throws a nice pitch to strike him out, and then he gives up the two-run two home run. What did you think about Topper in game one? Or excuse me, game two. Game two. So, yeah, game one, you exercise the philosophy of trying to get ahead of the struggles, right? So regardless of it, if it's Ranger Suarez or your ace in Zach Wheeler, that's your philosophy. Get ahead of the struggles. I didn't feel like he got ahead of his struggles at all with Zach Wheeler, essentially allowing three hits in a row. Had a no-hitter for five and two-thirds. You have two outs in the sixth inning, a four-run lead, and you lose. Makes no sense to me. The fact that he has seen Zach Wheeler hit a wall and hit a wall rather quickly, if you're giving up that kind of bomb to Travis Darno and you're hanging that pitch the way he hung it, I think it was a slurve that just hung up there in the middle of the plate about a little above the knees. I mean, that's a home run swing just waiting to happen, and that's exactly what happened in that particular instance. I, I think you get him out ahead of that. I think you get him out before he gives up. And that, that's not revisionist history. That's at the time going, um, this seems like trouble's a brewing. And then, of course, it ended up affecting the, the rest of the game. There's enough, Like I said, there's a number of things. I don't blame Bryce Harper for losing the game, but I will acknowledge he was one of the many mistakes the Phillies made in that game. I think Topper delaying his own personal philosophy and ignoring it, trying to get ahead of the trouble. I thought that was a mistake, certainly. Uh, I also look at the idea of leaving 11 men on base. You can't do that again. And you also look at the idea of making two errors, one a lot more costly than the other from Trey Turner. I think JT Real Muto summed it up really well after game two. And it's something we say in a lot of sports. We're saying it about the Eagles right now in the red zone. You can't make these kinds of mistakes against the upper echelon teams. And JT Romuto said you can't make these mistakes against the Braves because they're going to make you pay. And they did. And you kept giving them opportunities. You kept letting them back into the game. You didn't you know, squash their hopes and dreams. You kept dangling little uh, opportunities for them to jump in. And what do you know? A 100-win um, team in baseball, best team in baseball, took advantage of them. So you can't have those same types of mistakes coming into the game tonight, or rather in the game tonight. And I still can't believe Turner with those two errors after the fielding play he made. That second one was so weird because Cassianos had a 
I, it looked like he didn't put a lot of mustard on that throw. Okay, it looked like he didn't put a lot of mustard on that throw, the second error that Turner made. But either way, Turner does this thing far too often, even when he's playing short, of he reaches for too many balls. I mean, if you played Little League, your coaches are telling you, shuffle your feet, get over there, put your body in front of it. And Turner looks like, especially with his speed and agility, he's got the ability to get there and put his body in front of the baseball. And he reaches, he backhands far too often for my liking. And it leads often to the ball bouncing up his arm, hitting off his heel, and then, unfortunately, in this case, a run to score in the NLDS. Yeah, that was frustrating. And we were talking about that here on the show yesterday. A lot of people in the chat were saying that he's a lazy fielder and that that's the, he's being lazy out there. But yeah, just it's, a, it's, it's it's boomer bust. He'll make a diving play to save Matt Strom's ass in game one and make that miraculous play to turn two, or he'll just yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like move your feet. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, very, very frustrating. And and this question came up yesterday. Maybe you can answer it. Chuck Hutton in the chat saying, why was Turner even taking the Casty relay? Where was Bryson Stott? I thought Castellanos overthrew him a little bit, didn't he? He could. I'm trying to think of the play. I don't remember. Because I had the same thought because he's a shortstop. Why is on the 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 first base side of the second base back? Um, I don't know what happened to Bryson Stott on that play. I had the same type of thought. But Turner read it. Regardless, he read it. Was in the right place, and then at the last second, didn't just shuffle his feet a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I didn't. My, what jumped out to me? I don't remember. I go, got to go back and look at it again then, because I don't remember that jumping out to me. The Castellanos overthrew Stott. It was just a, kind of a weird relay, kind of a weird relay. But yeah, Stott should have been the guy. But sure. Right, before we let you run, what's your prediction? We got two games at the bank. Tonight and tomorrow. Yeah. What's Farzee's prediction for this series? I'm seeing people say that he did overthrow Stott. So yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to go back and look. Um, my prediction is that the Phillies win this series. I, I'm not I'm not scared. But there, I, I don't think there's ever been a team that has been more dominant in the regular season that I've taken less serious in the postseason or that I have, le- I have feared less in the postseason than the Atlanta Braves. Chase Utley summed it up beautifully uh, in that great highlight reel that was put together by uh, NBC Sports Philly which was the Braves never beaten the Phillies in the postseason. There's always a first time for everything, I know, but I don't think the first time is this time. And I think you have just the right pitching matchups to go uh, the rest of this way. And I think it, it really is a thing. I think Buster Olney summed it up really well. When it comes to the Phillies' hometown crowd, sure, it might not affect the Braves all that much. Like even Snickers said that there be, there, there's guys in the Braves that really aren't that familiar with this stage. So maybe they'll take a minute to kind of get over it, you know, let it sink in for a second and get over it. But it certainly pumps up the Phillies, regardless of what it does against the opposing team. These Philadelphia Phillies thrive on it. And everybody to a man that addressed the media after the game, what did they say? Now you got to come to CBP. Now you got to come in front of our fans. And, of course, they threw in the best fans of baseball and all that stuff. But Rob Thompson, Aaron Nola, uh, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, everyone. Coming back to South Philly. Now we got we we got what we wanted. We got the sweep, or excuse me, we got the split, and now we have an opportunity to close it out at home over the next two games. And if you remember just recent memory of Phillies baseball in the postseason, they win we they win game one, they lose game two. That is what they have done forever. More often than not, they come back and they win that series. They respond from a game two loss. And they rally, and they end up going into the postseason even further. So I am fine with where the Phillies are right now. 
Yes, the optics aren't that great as of right now with the way they lost game two because we thought, oh, my God, not only are you going to split, but you're going to have a two games to none series lead. You just got to win one of those two games in Philly. Oh, my God, it's locked. So we don't have it locked. We haven't had it locked for quite some time. Philly's still going to win. And you talk about how this is what the Phillies do. They also blew a four-run lead to the San Diego Padres last year in game two and came back to win that series. So let's hope that happens again. Mm -hmm. And another thing in Philadelphia sports that's never happened is the New York Jets have never beaten the Philadelphia (laughs) Eagles. So let's hope those two trends continue. Phillies beat the Braves. Eagles beat the Jets on Sunday. Farzee, can't thank you enough. Guys, be sure to check out Farzee tonight on the Philadelphia Phillies postgame show right here on the Jacob Sports Network. I'm hoping to have Farzee on here as a recurring guest because you guys love him. I love him. (laughs) He does such a damn good job, so we'll keep you guys posted on that. But Farzee, I will see you soon, my man. I will not not be at Ocean Casino on Sunday. I got a Disney cruise I'm taking the kids on, so... Try to manage without me, brother. Yeah, now just for, for your listeners and your viewers, so they know this. Bill told me he's going to give me a full because we both got young kids, Bill and I, and uh, and Bill's going to give me. I look forward to a full legal hands to the face podcast version breakdown of the Disney cruise. I want to know who's got the quick first step. Yeah, I'm giving. I want to know the statistics. <laughs> I'm bringing it all. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I. How is Goofy? Is Goofy <laughs> like a a first round pick in this? Is he a six round pick? What, where's he at? That's what I want to know after this Disney cruise, man. So please keep me informed. Will do, man. I really appreciate you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Back at you, brother. I'll see you. Bye. All right. Awesome. My man, Mark Farzetta, joining the show. Love Farz. He does such a good job. So be sure to check out the Philadelphia Phillies postgame show tonight right here on the Jacob Sports Network. So he's predicting a Phillies win. I'm also predicting a Phillies win. I think the Phillies will come out, get an early lead tonight. I think you're going to see my man, Aaron Nola. I'm calling him my man now. I didn't have much confidence in him in the wild card game, but I got confidence in him tonight. I really do. I think he's going to do well. And I see BSing Sports will do the show with him on Friday. I will be here Friday, guys. I will be here the rest of the week. But this weekend, and unfortunately Monday, Tuesday, uh, we already had this trip booked before we rolled out this Philly sports power hour, but this will be my last vacation, man. No more vacations during Philadelphia Eagle season. I told the fiance kids know it. We don't take vacations during Eagle season. This was kind of something that uh, my mother and the kid's grandmother wanted to do with the kids, a little Halloween cruise. So they'll have fun, but you better believe I'll be watching that Eagles game on the boat, but I will be missing my Philadelphia Eagles, Jacob sports pregame halftime and postgame crew, but I will be here the rest of this week. But next week, we'll let you guys know what we're going to do on Monday and Tuesday. But um, predicting a big win for the Phillies tonight. Definitely predicting a big win for the Phillies tonight. Guys, be sure to tune in tomorrow because I want to then focus not only on tonight's Phillies game, but I want to take a look forward at this Philadelphia Eagles-New York Jets matchup. And I also went back. I know we have just a small sample size so far this season. But through five games... I went back and looked, where do the Philadelphia Eagles stand in terms of offense and defense in comparison to where they were last year with such a dominant team that they had last season? Where are they with team offense, team defense? So I'm going to talk about that as well, because some of these things may surprise you about where this current Philadelphia Eagles team is in relation to last season's team. But guys, like we end every show, give you a little today in sports history. 
On October 11th, 1992, American boxer Riddick Bowe won the undisputed heavyweight title by defeating Evander Holyfield in a 12-round unanimous decision in Las Vegas. This was a significant moment for Bowe's career, solidified his position as a dominant force in the heavyweight division. Man, those were the good old days. You remember the 90s with heavyweight boxing with Holyfield and Bo and Tyson? Those were really the glory days when you talk about heavyweight boxing. I used to enjoy watching that as a kid. But uh, guys, as always, really appreciate all the engagement. Appreciate all the comments. Make sure you like, subscribe, share. I will be back here tomorrow, same time, 10 a.m., right here on the Jacob Sports Network. We'll break down game three of the Phillies, and we'll take a look at that Philadelphia Eagles team. Talk soon, guys. Go for the pulse and the pools. Go for the ooze and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.